I'm Justin Noda. And I'm Kyle Green. And you're listening to Mortgages, eh? A show designed to educate industry professionals and satiate the mortgage nerds. Underwriting, investing, getting the deals done while having a few laughs along the way. Morning, bud. Morning, bud. What are we going to talk about today? Transfers. Transfers. Transfers, maturities, the process that's in play, all the kind of stuff that surrounds them. But before we get started, I wanted to talk about one thing, and that is what I'm calling the podcast effect on my fitness. (laughs) So when we record these, we record both audio and video. And we recently received the first video back. Uh Now, on recording, we watched myself and sitting next to you. You're in trouble. I am in trouble, right? <laughs> so I, I I look at myself and the angle is not flattering mm. or you know, you're not looking at the camera at the right place and you think about how you can improve yourself. And yeah. so for me, my drive for fitness has always been quite minimal. Mm-hmm. I like to play sports, but I don't do that anymore because I work. Yeah, I like to lift weights, but I don't do that anymore because I work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. funny because the podcast is actually making me think, beyond the work and almost that fitness is now a part of work in order to be my best self and present my best self on the podcast and hold my own sitting next to this handsome bastard right here is my main is my main goal and i think it's something that people are going to maybe even join with me in hopefully right they'll be able to to see the the difference so it's being held accountable Fitness challenge. Fitness challenge. Activated. Mortgages A fitness challenge. And I <laughs> Let's do it. And I accept it. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited about it. Right. I, I found myself for the first time, you know, starting to get back to the gym, starting to work out again, starting to find time to fit it in. And I think it was just this podcast was that extra little nudge uh, that I needed in order to get started again. So before we start talking about mortgage transfers. Yeah. I wanted to start talking about, you know, personal transfers, personal transitions. Yeah. And yourself, as far as fitness and whatnot goes, what do you what do you do? Well, uh, I actually got a concussion a few months ago. That was back in late, late June, so five months ago. So what fitness have I been doing lately? Not a lot, actually. <laughs> um I was actually in in pretty good shape until fairly recently. And usually I, w- I would play hockey for Three teams. Yeah, you so look you, awful. Usually, yeah, I look like shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I'd play hockey for usually three teams. So usually playing about twice a week. There'd always be like one game you can't can't go to. And then usually we'd, we'd go to the gym between three to five times a week, depending on where I was at. You know, fitness is one of those things where it's like getting on a, it's like moving a train. It's really hard to start going. And once you get going and once you drive your uh, consistency, then it starts to get going. And and then you're going to find out, hey, you know what? I'm really into it. Uh, your body craves it and you keep doing it. I find in the very beginning, it's kind of like habit building. When you think about going to the gym right now, Justin, you probably think of pain and and not comfort for sure. No, right? pain and jiggling. Displeasure. More, and- <laughs> more jiggling than you'd like to have happen for sure. Of course, yeah. right? And then what ends up happening is once you start getting into the habit, and you start going, then all of a sudden you start to crave the feeling that you get when you go to the gym. You know, when you're when you're doing that pump and you can feel that rush going through your body and then you start to crave that. And then you need and want that again, right? But it takes some time. I'm, I'm now, I'm kind of getting back into the gym and 
it sucks right now. I'm I'm working out at a local rec center and I've got these feeble little high schoolers next to me lifting the same weight as I am there because <laughs> I, I literally can't do it. Like I I have 20, 25 minute workouts right now, but if I push myself, I get dizzy, I get headaches and then it lingers actually not just that night, but like for another day or two after. So this concussion thing is rough. Yeah, Let's no put jokes. it that way. So it's like, I'm trying to make sure that I get back into the, build the habit again and just do what I can, but do it consistently. And if it's 20 minutes a day, then that's fine. And I know that eventually it'll get up to 25 minutes, 30 minutes, et cetera. But yeah, as a, as a general of thumb, if I was going to talk to somebody that's new to working out and, yeah. and fitness and, and whatnot, I would probably say the weightlifting part, especially for men, is really good. Because at the end of the day, what ends up happening is the more muscle mass you have, the higher upkeep your body has per, per day. So you burn more calories even just sitting if you're jacked, right? Sure. So if you can build more muscle, doing cardio is like a burn for that day and then that burn is done. You know, you've burned off that chocolate bar you ate earlier today, and like, okay, well, great. <laughs> but if you put put on muscle mass, then you're gonna you're gonna burn a couple extra calories per day because of that extra muscle mass. So, the weightlifting component is really really important and beneficial for sure. And so, consistency is key in fitness, the same as it is in our industry. Oh yeah, right. Knowing what you're getting into, knowing whether it's a purchase, a refinance, a transfer, how to handle each accordingly, I think, is going to be something that our listeners, both young and old, both new and experienced, need to pick up on, um, need to practice. And in order to do that, you kind of need to know what to expect. So in the market today, I know everyone's probably been seeing a whole bunch of articles that come across their email, whether it's from, uh, you know, the Canadian Mortgage Brokers Association or uh, some of your local magazines, the realtor magazines, I even saw that they were touching on it. But the amount of transfers that are going to be coming up in the next, you know, one, two, three years, just due to what rates were doing, you know, three years ago, five years ago, depending on what the proper term is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you got those super low rates five years ago. I'm benefiting from that right now um, <laughs> on one of my properties that I have. I think I have a 1.84% rate. Ooh, that's hot. It's And I got it till 2025. Ooh, yeah. Right? So that's what I'm benefiting from. But so I'm going to be in that wave of renewals that comes up. And there's just a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of people that are going to be competing for that business. So what I wanted to do, besides go into what the transfer process is, what's involved, what are some of the pitfalls that we can help everybody listening avoid, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit just about uh, how people can go forward and win business in you know what is a fairly difficult market right now and is going to be extremely saturated with everybody trying to win that transfer business. Totally. So yeah, I, I've definitely noticed 2023 has been very difficult to win transfer business and renewal business. One reason I think that we've been noticing this is that in general, the rates have been increasing. And it seems like when you're dealing with a client that has a renewal with a lender, it seems like they set the date at some point before the renewal date, but they often aren't discussing it with the, with the client. So how many times have, have you seen it where finally get in touch with the client, they finally get the rate quote. You've been saying, hey, get, your, get a quote from the lender, get a quote from the lender, and it drags on and on and on. And then a month prior to the renewal date, they get quoted a rate that is like almost guaranteed from three months ago. You know, So it seems like sometimes the banks actually set a rate uh, three to four months outside of the renewal date, but they don't tell the customer that. And if rates are climbing, then you don't want to send in a deal if you don't know what the client's going to get quoted and then you then you lose out on it, right? Yeah, so it's, it's been tough. So I, I do think that an interest rate environment where rates are going up is, is more challenging for a mortgage broker because as I'll talk about the process of how I handle a renewal, you generally don't want to do a bunch of work before you know whether you can actually win it or not, whether it's in the client's best interest or not. The reason this is really important 
I've been seeing some some stats from uh, from lenders. It's funny. We I, I saw a stat the other day that you know RBC said eighteen percent of all of the renewals are coming for renewal next year. I saw that too. Yeah, but if you think about it, it's actually not a lot because if if on average people typically take five year terms, then that's actually below the average, isn't it? Because one out of every every five years a renewal will be coming up in theory, right? That's twenty percent. So I actually think if you look at it, twenty twenty four. Actually, we'll probably have less renewals, but if you look at it 2025, 2026, that's that's the heyday. Because you and almost everybody else redid their mortgage in 2020 and 2021. And in 2020 and 2021, what, what terms are you taking? Five years for the most part, right? Absolutely. Then you get into 2022 and, and for the most part in 2023, what term is most common? Probably the three-year, yeah. right? So if in 2020 and 2021, every, t- every took five years, those are coming up for renewal in 2025, 2026. If in 2022 and 2023, everybody's taking three years, those are coming up for renewal in 2025, 2026. <laughs> I, and I'm in for both of those. When I moved to Vancouver, I yeah. took a three-year. Yeah. And when I refinanced um, my other property to move to Vancouver, I took a five. So exactly. I'm, in, I'm in both those boats. 100%. So really, I mean, although I do think that there's not going to be as much renewal business coming up at the same time, there's less purchase volume, there's less activity going on right now, just in general, we need to find better ways of winning more renewal business. It's really, really important. And I know my my own team, we've really drilled down into this and we have a process and a system we're following up and we're, we're checking in with the customer to try to win those. So I think a couple of things I want to talk about is when to call. It's important to know that a lot of lenders will offer early renewals. Now, the good thing about the early renewal side is that when rates are way higher, Clients are disincentivized to early renew out of their 2% interest rate and take a new one at 6%. Sure. Right? But when rates are going down or flat, then sometimes the clients say, oh, I can early renew it? Yeah, sounds great. And they'll they'll early renew. Uh, Scotia will do it up to nine months in advance. Some of these lenders would do up to six months in advance. Uh, so you do want to catch them early. I think nine months, it's a bit tough to reach out to a customer and say, hey, don't forget about me. But I do think that when it's the renewal uh, renewal year, I think that reaching out to them once around the six-month mark, again around the four-month mark, probably again around the three, two, and one-month one, one month mark, just keep keep checking in with them. The, the tough part, of course, is that they may not be getting a rate quote from their, from their bank, and so you're not sure if you're going to win the deal or not. But if you're not hearing back from the customer, it's important to just keep the follow-up going. And make sure that the messaging is, hey, before you sign the renewal with the bank, just let me know what it is. I'm not, I'm not telling you to get a new mortgage with me. I'm just trying to help you. And one of the things I like to say is, whether it's with your own bank or through me, I just want to make sure you're getting, getting really good advice and getting the best rate, whether it's with them or me. doesn't matter. But we need to know what your current lender is going to offer first to be able to know whether it's going to make sense to, to do that or not. Now, on this note, as we talk about when to follow up with clients, an important component of this is not to just focus on the renewal date, but it's also just how often do you keep in touch with your clients? Super important, right? So when you do, in general, at at least once a year, at least once a year, and I know a lot of top brokers that do it at least twice a year, at least once a year, you get to call them. Is that your, like a mortgage checkup? The easiest one is just an annual review. We set that in our system. It's an annual review. Reach out to the customer. Hey, how is everything going? Would you like to uh, have a discussion about you know, basically, the, the purpose of the annual review is, 
has your financial position changed? Does it make sense to refinance or not? Then and there's ways that uh, you can recalculate the savings versus penalty to break it. Obviously, it does not make sense for you know 95 out of 100 clients, or probably even more than that, right now to refinance and do it unless they're in a B lender or a private lender or something like that. But but you're just trying to create an opportunity where where you're going to have a discussion with them to see if there's any anything that you can help them with. And uh, and I do think that if you position it right from the beginning that I'm going to do an annual review and I'm going to reach out to you and see if you need anything, then they're expecting the call, and uh, and you can set that up so that. You know, every every year in the month of their maturity date, you're reaching out to them. It's a really straightforward, easy way of doing it. And then as you get closer to the renewal year, you just want to remind them that, hey, by the way, your renewal is coming up next year. Uh, just a reminder, don't just sign the renewal that you're offered. Make sure you, you, at minimum, just send me the renewal offer and we can have a quick discussion about it. Because if I can save you money either with your existing lender or with me, then let's do that. You know, kind of like the uh, Geico commercials, five five minutes can save you 15% or more, whatever the, the you know, I don't quite use that one, but uh, but it's not a bad one to use, something like that, right? And it's always a good thing to remind the people that you still exist, yeah. right? As much as you see them in your books or, you know, you're in this all the time, every day, um, reminding them that you're still a mortgage broker, you're still their mortgage broker, you're still doing what you do and you're there to help. Even if, you know, in between, I always say that, we have an interesting business because you get to catch up with all your friends every five years. Yeah, yeah. Right? And whether it's actual friends that, you know, maybe you went to high school with and then you help this person get a mortgage. And I have this exact situation where I'm, you know, help someone get a mortgage relatively soon out of high school. Um, and then, you know, five more years and then five more years again. And right. you get to kind of catch up and you get to see the development of, you know, their family and you get to catch up on what's happening and then you get to help them in this process. But for someone who's not your friend that just, you know, maybe showed up on your showed up on your office doorstep one day, they can easily forget who you are. Oh yeah. Right. They're getting banks and notices from First National, from Scotia, from TD, right? It's easy for them to forget that Kyle Green or Justin Noda were the ones that helped arrange that mortgage. Yeah. Um, so setting up that CRM, and we're going to have more on CRMs and the whole processes that we think brokers should put in place on different episodes. But I think it's super important for us to say that setting those kind of things up, the touch points throughout the term helps not only to remind and potentially get deals throughout those five-year terms, but also for when the maturity actually comes up. It's a lot easier to say, hey, how about those 17 points I've touched you at across the last five years, as opposed to, hey, remember me, I did your mortgage, let me do it again. Exactly, right? So once you do connect with them, then the key is to understand what's, what's, what's different, what's changed, what are their objectives and goals. Really important to always do, zoom out and ask them, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years at this stage now? Because it maybe it's been five years since they first bought the home. Now maybe they're thinking, yeah, I do want to upgrade and buy a new residence. Or maybe I, you know, we're thinking maybe buying a rental property. Or, you know, Kevin lost his job last year and we've got 80 grand of credit card debt racked up. You know, there's all these little new things that have may have changed. And so it's not only what has already changed, but also what is perhaps going to change in the future. And the way that you want to position this is, we always want to make sure that your mortgage suits your current needs, but also your your projected future needs too. And clients don't hear that enough, I don't think. People are very just, okay, here's your mortgage. That's I can From what I can see, it suits your needs. But there really should be the question, where do you see yourself heading in the next couple of years? That's important. So less transactional. And I know we work in a transactional yeah. industry and I actually watched a really, I watched a TED talk the other day. And they were talking about how the switch from transactional industries to 
everything being a hospitality industry. Yep. Right. And I thought that struck a super, super neat chord and maybe think of everything a different way where, yes, we are in a transactional industry, but anyone can do, you know, what we do. There's a hundred different brokers over there that can get the same rates or offered the mm-hmm. same products. And the difference is making your feel or you're making your client feel appreciated, making yep. your client feel good about the process, making them feel comfortable and confident in your services. And there's no better way than to stick with them throughout that term and then be able to offer them your services again and again and again and again and get them nice and familiar with the way you work. Exactly, yeah. So let's say that you've got the client on the phone now and you've gone over that and you've, you've gotten an update. One of the keys that I find is that it's very hard to win renewal business if it's just a renewal, right? If it's just a transfer, it is harder to win it because the deal can go two different directions. But if, it's, if it becomes a refinance opportunity, well, now it's an open playing field because whether they go back to the existing lender or whether they're doing it through you, it's a refinance, right? And that opens up the playing field. You need to provide documents for either side. And it's a lot easier, I think, to be able to bring value to that conversation. And now that they are talking to you, well, might as well just do the refinance with you, yep. right? That's the way that they look at it. If it is not a refinance opportunity, it's really important to then try to see, does this fit into the insurable box? If it's an insurable loan, it's a lot easier to quote and to match or beat what a bank or existing lender is able to offer. If it's not insurable, then it makes it a lot harder. And so it's really important that if it is just going to be a straight transfer, is it an insurable transfer or not? Because if it's not an insurable transfer, I will say that it's really, really hard to win and beat a beat a bank on a renewal. You know, this year in particular, I would say that we're able to win some business away from Scotia because Scotia's CEO said, hey, we want to be less competitive in mortgages. We want to unwind some of our mortgage book. We're too committed and too too heavy on the mortgage side. We want to unwind some of that. And their, their rates being higher was purposeful. Um, so we did win some renewal business, even on uninsurable stuff. But it wasn't that common. You know, unless there's a unless the client wants a specific term and you have a really, really good rate with that term somewhere else, it usually needs to be an insurable deal to win it. And if you think about it, it's a lot cheaper to keep a client. You know, once once the lender has the customer, it's really easy and low cost for them to maintain that customer. So there's room and there's money for them to just buy down the rate to keep them. Yeah, That's the issue, right? They're not paying a broker for this deal again. They're They're just keeping them. So uh, I think that that's, um, that's a challenge. And of course, one of the biggest uphill battles is requalifying. You have to stress test the customer again. And we'll get to that in a little bit because there's some new yeah, interesting will. rules on that. Yes. Very, yeah. And secondly, I think that the, the other major key is just, does the client want to go through all the documents? I have it sometimes where the client gets a quote and it's like, well... Is it worth your time is the question. That's, that's it, right? <laughs> Same thing. I had a I had a little account speech that was said, you know what? I can save you 500 bucks. I can save you $1,000 throughout the term. Yep. Right? And it might not sound like a lot, but when you convert it into dollars per piece of paper, they have to they have to provide. <laughs> yeah. I've won a couple pieces like that where I could save you 1,700 bucks if I said, you know, if you collect me 10 pieces of paper and give me give me a couple signatures, I can save you $1,700. Right. Are you willing to go forward with it? Right. That's an uh, interesting way of doing it. And so usually they break it down and you can even go farther. I started it with a friend and we, you know, it broke down to like $180 per piece of paper that he had to collect. 
Um, and he went oh. farther because he was a math kid as well. And oh, so yeah. he went even farther and broke down his hourly wage currently. Um, and we had some fun with it because he, I think he's a financial planner now out in Calgary. Um, <laughs> but so that's kind of how it started. I sold to him that way. And then I used that same speech with another client and then another client. And it just kind of turns into something that you regurgitate every time a, a transfer deal comes across your desk that you feel isn't a lot of value for the client in regards to interest saved throughout the term. Right. But you get paid on it again. <laughs> so you really want them to do it. Yeah, right? exactly. So, and every once in a while, I do have a client that says, I've had it before where, hey, this is how much money you're going to save. It's, you know, it, it's up to you. It's a thousand bucks. I know you're, you know, whatever profession, but I, it sometimes you start to think about the hourly rate. I'm like, they might actually lose money on this by the time they're, they're done. But if you're full disclosure about the amount of their saving and almost try to turn it away, Sometimes they, I have had clients to say, you know what, I just rather work with you. Nice. And they just like if I if I renew, do you get paid? It's a great question to be asked. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, well, no. And like, okay, well, I really want you to get paid. You know, and then they're sometimes happy to do it, which is interesting. I've I've even had some clients work with me on a renewal and say, I just I would rather use you again and have you get paid. And they're taking a higher rate, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you are you sure? Like just to be full disclosure and make sure that's an email too. Like, are you sure, like just to be transparent here, you're going to pay more to work with me. Yeah. Is that, are you okay with that? Like, is that what you want? And I've had some clients say yes. I'm like, wow. That's going to make you feel good. Oh yeah. Yeah. That must be, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Anyways, I think another key that uh, I really try to, to do on every single renewal is get the client to get the quote from their current lender first. Go get that. And and if they get the sheet and you think, uh, sometimes you're going to know, oh, those rates are just the posted rates. The, the bank's going to call them at some point and offer them better rates. Then I'll sometimes say, just call the bank and tell them that better rates exist and, and you want a better rate. And the phrase that I use, and this is not just for renewals, but if the customer is talking to their own bank too, I usually say, look, go to the bank and tell them to give you their absolute best rate. And the response often is, yeah, here's our best rate. But if somebody else is coming up with a better rate, let me know and yeah. I'll see if I can match it. Okay, well, what's your best rate then is the question. And one important thing to note is that the the reality is the banks are not representing their customers. They're representing their short shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That is ultimately who they report to. They work with their customers so that they can earn their shareholders' income. That's So they're always trying to offer you the highest possible rate you will take to stay with them, right? That's the way that they operate. And when we tell the customer, it's like, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Like the lenders just tell us, here's our best rate, take it or leave it. And so you just tell me what rates you're, you're getting offered. Tell your bank to bring their best offer to the table and I'll let you know if I, can, if I can beat it or not and if it's worth your time or not. But let's start there. Yeah. So why don't you go to your bank and figure out whether they can, you know, what rate they can offer you and then circle back. And the reason for that is that the first one to quote loses. So the first person to quote on a deal loses because the second person is always the one that can then just undercut it. Yeah. As a broker, we we know the same thing too, right? Oh, okay, let me let me go back to my bank and see if we can get a better rate for you all of a sudden, you yeah. know? So uh, the first one to quote loses. And I think that that's an important thing to remember is you never want to be the first one to quote because guaranteed they'll take that quote and then just ask the bank to match it, right? It, absolutely. Well, loyalty, I find, you know, you'll have that people that 
they bleed the RBC blue, yeah. right? And they've been with them for a hundred years. And then when they do offer their best interest rate, um, and you come back and you beat it easily, and it gets them almost questioning, you know, the one one way loyalty, right? Yeah. One way loyalty always leaves one party feeling like shit. Is pretty much how it works, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so if you can step in and secure yourself that loyalty that that person had to that institution, and all of a sudden now you're loyal to that person and you're showing it by offering the best service, the best rates, um, maintaining contact throughout that five-year term, more than just how can I help you make money, right? It's yeah. how can I... How can I offer you a better product? What type you're looking to purchase? Uh, your kids looking to purchase? Here, how can I can help them? So, yeah. just offering more than just dollars and cents, I think, is a is a big key in transfers and in touching touching people in regards to when their transfers are coming up. Yep, absolutely. So then, if if you're at a point now where you have you have rates on each side of the spectrum, then you now want to be able to say, okay, so if you are to move it over, then this is the savings, right? And sometimes the savings just is not significant. Yep. You know, I actually have, sometimes I have clients that have a really small mortgage and they have eight rental properties and they have a $200,000 mortgage coming up for a new one. Like, is this a good rate? <laughs> well, it's a pretty good rate because neither of us want to go through the work of, of actually getting you a new mortgage. <laughs> but the but you don't want to say that because it makes it sound like you don't want their business, sure. right? Because I still want their million dollar mortgage on their residence. So yes. I want that one to come up for a new yep. one and, and whatnot. But... But on that small $200,000 mortgage, usually the math works out and I say, well, look, even if I could save you money on this, it's just such a small mortgage that's so probably just not worth the work and the hassle, right? And you break it down. 0.1% on $100,000 is 100 bucks a year. That's the math. And so if it's a $200,000 mortgage and you can save them you know, 0.1%, that's 200 bucks a year on a three-year or five-year term, is it, you know, is it worth moving the mortgage over for that kind of money? Now, a million dollar mortgage, all of a sudden we're getting into the money, right? 0.1% is a thousand bucks a year. So you can start to really save somebody quite a bit of money by, by even having a rate that's 0.2% lower. And of course, we're more incentivized to work on a bigger mortgage too, right? But you, you want to be transparent with the customer about the math. I've had it before where if it's not clear enough to the customer what, what the reasoning for doing this is, sometimes you're going to get knee deep in the file and all of a sudden the customer's going to be like, uh, yeah, I was, I was running the numbers. So how much how much exactly am I going to save here? Like, is it really worth it? And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like I'm half halfway through this deal now. I've already collected the document, sent it to the lender. There's back and forth with questions from the lender. And now all of a sudden the customer is wondering why the heck they're doing this. And you don't want to get to that point. No. You want to make sure that the math is confirmed and that they're happy with that result if they get it. And then what I'm finding is that if you're honest with them uh, at that stage, don't just try to grind it out and just try to win the deal and assume that the customer is not going to think about it because they're going to think about it. You know, be transparent with them and tell them what the, the math is. So I think that uh, at the end of the day, to go like, like from a, a high level, try to see if the deal is insurable. That's a way of getting it, um, getting it to work. And of course, if it's a refinance opportunity, then then usually that's a much easier way of winning the deal. If they have all this outstanding debt, they're going to need to refinance anyways. And since they're talking to you, they're probably just going to use you. They're probably not going to go to the bank again. So you've said insurable a couple of times. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest questions that I still get from people just yeah. asking me what the difference between insured, insurable, conventional, and insurable, yeah. what that is. So I think it's important that we touch on the actual definition and characteristics of an insurable yeah. 
mortgage. Yep. Um, so this is where you're going to see, if you look at your, your monoline lenders rate sheets, you're going to see it broken down lots of the times into loan to values. So 65%, you know, 70, 70 to 75, pretty much 80% and 65% is going to be your insurable kind of section. You have to make sure the amortization is 25 years or under because just as insured, right, there's still going to be insurance on this mortgage. It's just lender paid, not broker paid yep. or pardon me client, but it's definitely not broker paid. Yeah. <laughs> it's client paid. Yeah. And that's the big difference. So being following the, the insurer's rules for insurability and insurable mortgages is the easiest way to do it. So 25-year amortization at the max, um, nothing over a million-dollar purchase price. And then you can actually start getting into the grandfathering rules as well for transfers, um, which is you know if the property was purchased before, I think it was November 2016, yep. then you didn't have to apply the stress test. And there's different rules for the value that might have been at that time compared to what it is now. Uh, those kind of rules are are almost less present in the industry now just because enough time has passed mm -hmm. between that 2016 date and now 2023. Um, but, you know, that first five years after 2016 when insurability was coming in um, and everyone was trying to figure out what it meant because it was a brand new term that no one really knew. Yep. Um, but it's definitely the, the biggest piece of the pie, I think, for transfers that brokers are going to be able to win uh, just because it's a lot harder for the big monoline lenders, the RBCs, the BMOs, the TDs, to compete with the type of rates that we're able to get on the insurable side because they are not quite as good as insured when you're above 65% loan-to-value and under 80% loan-to-value, but a hell of a lot better than the actual big banks can get. Oh, yeah, big time. Are you seeing that in, in your in your day-to-day -day business as well? 100%. I mean, an easy example is as of you know, today, November of 2023, a variable rate with most lenders on a conventional uh, ap application is prime minus 0.2 to, I've seen the occasional, you know, RBC offer prime minus 0.5. It's like, ooh, that's a pretty good offer from, yeah. from a bank, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we have, we have two banks right now that have pretty good variable rates, but for the most part, most are offering pretty small discounts. And we are seeing a shift in clients wanting to start to consider variable again because of the expectation that interest rates will fall in the future. And an insurable variable is like prime minus 0.9 with, with the non-bank lenders. Imagine, and I have this all the time, clients are getting offers of prime minus about 0.2 from their bank, prime minus 0.9 with a non-bank lender. Yeah, that's a huge difference. I mean, 0.7%, even if it's a small mortgage, it financially makes sense for those customers, right? So the the bigger that the either the bigger the mortgage or the bigger the spread on the rate or the combination of the two of course yep. makes that number the savings or value of using you for the uh, for the renewal go up right and so there's a really big difference there um, and especially on five year money too I find that uh, that the the smaller uh, non bank lenders they're more competitive on five year money and what I've heard especially because we've been doing so many short term rates lately um, is that the the five year rates are just more profitable because it's a longer term, right? And the reality is that a bank might might be okay with a shorter term mortgage just to win the deal, because they have the opportunity to cross sell the client and their uh, their ability to maintain that client at renewal is still quite high. Whereas the non bank lenders are like, we only do the mortgage and we have to make money on the mortgage yeah. itself. So by the time they were done paying the broker and then what their uh, retention rate is, et cetera, it just may not make sense for them. So a lot of the smaller non-bank lenders, that's why you'll see that they don't really have competitive, smaller, shorter terms. It's five-year money in general is where it's at with them. So you'll see really competitive insured or insurable five-year fixed as well as variable. Yeah. Interesting. So 
In regards to winning the transfer business that's coming up, um, we've talked about being in touch with your client. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing the difference between insured, insurable, conventional, I think that's a big key when you need to be, you know, information is knowledge. And what's your favorite saying? Underwriting is sales. Underwriting is sales. <laughs> so knowing your information and your product, knowing how to not pitch it, because uh, yeah. you don't really, I mean, it is a pitch. I don't really like to think about it that way, but I guess we are all in sales as well. Yep. Um, so being able to provide that information to the client to give them the best opportunity to you know, get the best product, rate, service, um, and also give yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because we're all we're not in this for free. Yeah. Uh, so give yourself the best opportunity to be able to earn that money back. And if you can earn the money back, and the client saves money, yeah. and you provide better service, then we all know the bank's going to be able to provide. You know, then it's just nothing but wins across the board, and everybody leaves the deal feeling good. Of course, yeah. We went through two points on that. Is there any other points that we want to bring up in regards to winning deals in the market? Or I just want to offer a little. A trick. Uh, yeah. A tricky trick? A tricky trick. Yeah. <laughs> you remember from our last I podcast. Do. Yeah. It's not really a tricky trick, but it's, uh, I guess it's a tip. Technically, a refinance is not insurable, right? Correct. However, there's a trick. There's a way that you can actually do an insurable refinance. And the way to do that is that you use lenders that have line of credit facilities or products. And there's a few of them out there. Most of the lenders that do this, by the way, have a separate mortgage and line of credit component. And so that would be CMLS. There's a couple of credit unions in BC. I'm sure that there are in Ontario as well that do this. So Coast Capital and Envision, I know for sure do it, where you can transfer in the mortgage and you can add a line of credit behind the mortgage. And because it's a separate charge, it's okay. And interestingly, Manulife also does this, insurable, even though it's all secured as one charge. Again, as long as you're transferring over the mortgage component over, and then you're uh, adding a line of credit behind it. And the cool thing is the line of credit can be used not just to have empty for future investments or whatever, uh, you can actually pay off the debt with that. So you can actually do a refinance application, get an insurable interest rate on the the, uh, mortgage portion itself that you're transferring over, and then roll up all of their debt or whatever else you need into the line of credit component. So cool. And then you can lock in the line of credit into a mortgage. And then you get a mortgage rate on it. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really, uh, really interesting uh, method and, and way of doing it. And I think that's definitely underutilized in the industry. I think people are like, oh, it's a refinance. And then like, oh, crap, I can't compete on the rate or whatever. Don't forget about the insurable transfers and the ability to add a line of credit behind it. Second thing as well, uh, when you're trying to figure out if a deal is insurable, but also figure out what amortization you can offer... There's, there's something that's really important, which is to pull title to see if the property has been refinanced since it was purchased. Because yeah. if it was purchased prior to that November 2016 date and the purchase price is under a million dollars and it has not been refinanced since then, then it could be insurable. And so if you, if you pull title and you take a look at it, that's one thing you're looking for. We also want to pull the mortgage charge as well. And the reason that you're looking at that is that if it's a collateral charge, a lot of the uh, lenders will actually allow you to re-amortize it and extend the amortization back to 25 years, which is almost like a refinance again. You're extending the amortization. I feel that that's a really useful tool in today's climate because a lot of the time when I come up, a client comes up for renewal, I'll say, do you want the best rate option or do you want the lowest payment option? Yeah. Right? And... I tell you, a lot of clients are saying, yeah, the payment option, please. Yeah, cash, yeah. cash flow right now, right? So yeah. important. They bought a property, their first time home buyers five years <clears throat> ago. They're on a 20-year amortization right now and you'd have to stay there, right? 
and say, okay, 20-year amortization, here's the rate and here's the payments, or here's the 30-year amortization option. And the rate's a half a percent higher, but the payments are 500 bucks a month less. Yeah. And a lot of people are, are taking that now that the rates have you know, tripled. So knowing if it's a collateral charge or a standard charge, another yep. question to ask when you're talking to the client originally about what kind of mortgage they have. Yeah, and and well, most clients are not going to know whether they're the collateral charge or not. It's so true. usually it's just pulling the title. But you're you're going to know if it was um, you know TD Bank or somebody like that. Then you're going to know, or most credit unions usually register as a collateral charge if it had any HELOC component to it, etc. So the HELOC uh, that was the that was the key when when I you know however long ago it was that was the only way that we knew if it was a, a collateral charge, right? Is yeah. the do you have a HELOC? Yes, we do. Then it's you know probably a Scotia step. Exactly, it's probably what's going to end up happening, which usually leads to you know, on a transfer before all this new cool stuff came out, it led to the fact that it has to be a refinance. Yeah. Right. If there was a HELOC and there was a HELOC balance, you have to pay that out, bring it over to the new lender. And now it's the mortgage amount plus the HELOC balance. Right. So it's an increased amount. So it's a, a refinance and not a transfer anymore, yeah, um, which exactly. means uh, a lawyer's involved. There's an appraiser involved again. Right. There's right. extra costs. So it's much harder to win that business um, before all these. Tricky tricks. It's tricky tricks, exactly, out. right? And it's actually yeah. a neat kind of segue into the new OSFI rules that yeah. have come up as well yeah. um, because that has a direct tie into qualifying um, insured. So that's the key in this is it's borrower paid insurance. Yeah. So a borrower paid insured file now has the ability to qualify at a contract rate, at the new contract rate, not contract plus two, mm-hmm. for the maturities that are coming up. Um, and that was the new OSFI rules that came out I think it maybe a month ago, something like that. Yeah. This month has been a whirlwind already. <laughs> yeah, and that was yeah. one of the things that comes up. But it's super important to know just because, you know, qualifying at 2% light comparatively to, you know, someone who doesn't know that trick or that rule yeah. can help you, you know, secure and win even more business. Big um, time. So if it was an insurable file or it was a conventional file, meaning there was no insurance on it, it's still going to be contract plus two. Yeah. Um, but if it's, again, borrower paid insurance allows the qualifier to contract or to qualify a contract rate. And you know what's really weird? When this first came out, there was a moment where it was a, a hearing or something like that and somebody was getting some clarity about something. And then I think it was a CMHC rep or somebody said, yes, and if it's an insured mortgage, then they can requalify it at the at the contract rate. And and then everybody in the mortgage industry said, wait, what did you say? Yeah. Is this information is and is this the rule or the guideline? as they interpret it when they set it up in 2016. Because the way that they worded it sounded like this is the way it's been the whole time, yeah. but none of the lenders knew. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember being a broker back in 2016 and, oh my God, nobody knew what the hell was going on no, with the insurable stuff. Not at all. Like nobody had a clue. Is this insurable? I don't know. I'd even tell clients, like, I don't know if, if I can get you a better rate, but I'm going to try. So I'm going to send it in and then they're going to ask me some questions and then I'm going to answer those questions. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to know if it's insurable or not. Yeah. Because there's all these little nuances <laughs> and then all this, oh, but this and that. And and so it seemed to me like the government stance was, oh, it's been like this the whole time. But none of the banks knew about this. Yeah. It's just a really weird circumstance. I don't know how that could have possibly been that way. So I don't know if there's a poor communication on that or or what it was, but... Anyway, so I wanted to ask you, Justin, on this. Let's talk about the nitty-gritty on, an, on a transfer. Sure. So like, let's say that uh, you've sold the client and now they're like, yeah, let, let's do this. What is the process of doing a transfer? So tell me what that looks like. So a, a transfer it looks a little bit different because you know, you're not buying a property and you're not 
refinancing and taking out any new money. And essentially, you're just taking the existing mortgage balance and transferring it over to a different lender who's probably offering a different rate. So again, Kyle touched on all the the numbers and the selling points and insured versus insurable. I'm going to touch more on the process. So what we, what happens is you obviously take the same application um, and you're talking to the client about you know what options may be better. You're selling them on the numbers. You've sold them on that. Um, you submit to the lender of choice. Um, they provide you with. It's pretty much the same process as a refinance would be, except with a couple a couple differences. Obviously, being number one is it's typically not closed through a lawyer. It's closed through a closing company. Mm-hmm. Um, the two most common ones are going to be FCT and FNF. FNF not First National Financial, yeah. <laughs> um, which has caused difficulties in the past, just because it's the same acronym, right? Yep. It's um, Fidelity National Financial is FNF, um, and they act as closing companies for the lenders, not for the client. So they act as a signing authority. Um, they're going to be the ones who go to your house, hopefully, or go to your place of work, um, arrange you if you live remotely or nowhere and that's in a bigger city. They have signing agents that are old lawyers spread throughout the country. So it's actually quite easy mm-hmm. to be able to go in and sign with them. And what they do on behalf of the lender is they will assemble the mortgage instructions. They'll instruct the lawyer. Uh, they'll follow up to determine any changes um, that are requested by the lawyer. They'll also request the final documents from the lawyer, and then they're going to facilitate the funding. Mm. So it's similar to a a lender BDM where you have this one point of contact in order to get access to kind of the inner workings. You have the same thing with FNF or FCT. They have portals, they have broker access portals, they have BDMs that you can talk to. So it's nice, it's a pretty smooth transaction. They're extremely busy, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you can imagine, especially, I can't even imagine their hiring scheme right now, knowing what kind of a wave of renewals is coming up. Yeah. Um, because that's typically what, what they cover. So the lender actually covers the cost as well. And that's one of the biggest selling points. Because honestly, who is going to do a renewal with a new bank that saves you $700 when you have to pay $600 for an appraisal and yeah. a legal and legal fees. Exactly. Right, no one's going to do that. So inside the the rules and the policies for for most lenders uh, is the fact that they're going to cover any appraisal costs um, and they'll cover any um, legal fees that might come up. So I think those are two two of the biggest things. Other than that, it pretty much closes following the same process mm-hmm. as as a, a purchase or a refinance might, but there's definitely some um, some sticking points that you kind of discover along the way yeah, that, that yeah. might be... That's what I wanted to ask you, Justin. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the sticking points, the first one that I always talk about is that um, the payout statement doesn't come in time, mm-hmm. right? Which is a huge thing. So one of the pieces in the process is that the new lender requires you to sign uh, like an FCT or an FNF request for a mortgage discharge statement. Yep, yep. And what that does is that gives the new lender permission to talk to the old lender on the back end and request that payout statement. Mm-hmm. And the payout statement is going to be the the nuts and bolts of exactly how much you owe and when that payment is and what potential penalty is going to be given out at that time. But the lender that's being left, for whatever reason, never seems to be extremely diligent about getting that payout statement. Why am I not surprised? Right? And I'm not going to name names, but there's definitely certain ones inside the industry that are known for it. Yeah. And so what happens is that if you aren't prepared and you haven't advised your client, and you absolutely should advise your client as soon as you start and they give you the okay that they're going to be going forward with you, have them talk to their existing lender. Find out what options they offer at renewal. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I'd probably say, you know, maybe 70% of the time, the lenders are going to have some kind of a no penalty, fully open 
product that they roll into so that you can finish facilitating that transfer. Um, there's no penalty charge to the client. And even though it might close, you know, 5, 10, 15 days late, there's not, you know, they're not in a, a one-year or a five-year fix. There's even some lenders out there that, tra- that lock into a five-year fix. At the low, low rate of prime plus six. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So that, yeah. even just that one phone call, that yeah. they can do. Number one, it helps you sleep at night, right? Mm-hmm. As a broker, you know um, that the client is being treated and fully aware of what's going to happen in kind of a worst case scenario. Yeah. Because what you don't want to happen is this whole situation happens. You roll your deal right to the end. You never advise them to roll into an open. You never advise them to talk to the client or to talk to the lender. The payout statement comes late. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mortgage doesn't close and that lender automatically rolls them over into a five-year fixed. Yep. Right now, your client is stuck with whatever five-year fixed rate they got with their existing lender. You don't get paid on the mortgage. Yep. Um, you have mistreated your client. Yeah. And if they want to break that mortgage, now they're either going to be paying the full three months interest or the IRD, whichever is greater. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a, a major thing to think about is just the fact that a lot of lenders will auto-renew the client into a closed term. Yep. It's not usually a five-year closed term. Most of the uh, lenders that do it might be six-month closed or something like that, but it doesn't matter because there's still a three-month interest penalty regardless. Tangerine. Yeah, I Tangerine. is a five-year. Tangerine, yeah. And, and I have heard a few that do five-year. That's, geez, Tangerine. <laughs> meanies. <laughs> no These kidding. Are meanies. On that note, something I wrote down here, rolling into the open. I have this happen a lot where a client is coming in and they're like, I, I, my renewal's coming up in five days. Oh, I just, I can't, I can't move it, but I got such a crappy rate from my bank, but I can't, I can't move it ahead of time. And uh, it's really important to make sure that you discuss with them, like, actually that date is not a, you know, a deal breaker. Yeah. If you roll it into an open mortgage, then it buys us time and you want to still get it done as soon as possible. Yeah. Because that interest rate uh, is going to be higher than whatever new rate we're going to be able to get for you. But it's not a deal breaker where all of a sudden, oh, it's you're out of time. We can't do it. And as a strategy, a, a lot of the time, if I think that I'm only going to win the deal, if I can bridge that gap, for some reason, clients think that this cost is going to be astronomical. Yeah, They think, oh my God, but the renewal rate is 9.7%. That's so high. Tell you what, client. I'll cover the difference between that rate that you're rolling into and the new rate that I'm getting for you for those those days. I'll cover that. Because the reality is a, a bridge of 4 or 5% difference in the interest rate for five days is nothing, yeah. really, in the grand scheme of things. And, and then I also tell the customer, look, because I'm covering it, guess what? I'm highly incentivized to get this thing done with as soon as possible, just like you are, Right. But at least that you completely remove that. And so what I actually find is sometimes a customer won't tell you why they're so stressed and why they're putting unreasonable timelines on you to get it done really, really quickly. And you're like, what's, what is the issue here? You know, and I've had it before. We're like, well, the renewal's coming up in, in a week. You know, I'm, I, what happens? I had a client tell me a couple of weeks ago that he wasn't sure if the bank was going to take his home back if his renewal wasn't dealt with at renewal. Oh, wow. Like he had no idea. He just thought that that was going to be what would, what, what would happen. And I was wondering why he's being such an ass to me. <laughs> where is this at? Where is this at? What's what's the update? What's the update? You know, where is this deal at? It's like, I told you the dates were, you know, it's going to, get, we're going to hear back on Tuesday and you're following up with me on Saturday. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not going to be done yet. The banks hasn't picked it up at this time. So renewing into an open is an important thing. 
Another thing I want to bring up is the ability to capitalize some of some additional money onto the mortgage. Yeah. So uh, a lot of lenders will allow you to add three grand onto the mortgage. And that means that you can actually do a transfer midterm. So you don't have to just do a transfer at the renewal date. You can actually do effectively a refinance. Say, hey, client, your penalty is going to be six grand. But if you redo your mortgage, we can save you 12. We can add three of the six grand on top of your mortgage. Yeah. So it's not out of pocket. The other three is going to have to come out of pocket or come from a line of credit or whatever. But you're going to save 12 grand over the remainder of your term. And so you can actually you can actually pitch and sell that too. And so that's something I think is really important to think about. Um, one other thing I wanted to add in here is payout statements. And so a payout statement does two things. Uh, well, it does more than two things, but the things I want to talk about... Is one of those uh, things. Is give, one of those give things. Give me a headache. One of those that's two one, things. That's, yeah. one of, that's one of those things. <laughs> well, see, obviously the payout statement is saying this is how much money you owe. Here are all the uh, adjustments. But it also, once a payout has been ordered, it sets a, a date that the payout can happen anytime. Usually it's about 15 days. It used to be 30 back in the day. <laughs> you used to, <laughs> used to be able to do this. In fact, we used to back in the day as interest rates were dropping, we used to go and get a lawyer yep. to order a payout I remember. and would lock in the penalty and then would give us 30 days to quickly wrap up the mortgage yep. and we'd have the penalty locked in and then the savings would get better because the rate would be dropping, right? We did a ton of that back in the subprime crisis. A little harder to do now because they usually have like a 15-day-ish on average uh, time period. But importantly, the, the payout statement confirms the amount that they owe, but it also ensures that there's no payments that come out of the mortgage once the payout has been issued. So they stop taking payments out from the customer's bank account because, of, of course, if they say you owe us this much, if they take a payment, then that number is going to change. Uh, secondly, it ensures that even if it, it closes after the renewal date, it just they automatically charge a per diem. So the bank is not supposed to, if the payout has been ordered, and you mentioned this earlier, Justin, if the payout statement has not been ordered, then it might auto-renew. But if the payout uh, has been issued, then even if the renewal, even if the new bank doesn't take over on the renewal date, even if it's a bit after, as long as it's inside of that window on the payout statement, then you're good. Yeah, great yeah. points. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so to kind of bring it bring it around, I know we're, we're coming up to the time on this one that we, mac we usually like to stick around. Um, yeah. But as far as... Uh, other things that could potentially come up inside the transfer process that could go wrong that people should be aware of. Yep. We went through the payout statement doesn't come in time. The payout statement shows that you owe more money than your mortgage is approved for. Right. And I've had this happen personally. I remember I was on the side of the road in Kelowna and I got a call from Merrick's. Oh, no. And they received the payout statement for the deal that was supposed to close tomorrow. I had it approved for, I think, 330000 something like that. And the payout statement came back at like three thirty three. Oh, no. Right, that kind of thing. So, what has to happen? Requalification. Yeah. Right. They yeah. have to now run through that whole file again, get it all requalified for three hundred thirty-three thousand. New documents needed to be signed by FCT or FNF because now the mortgage amount is more. Right. Right. You have to call the client and tell them that you messed up. Yeah. Right. Basically. And that here's the reason, and here's what's going on, and you're going to have to do this, and now you're going to have to hopefully roll over into that fully open um, because we're not going to close in time. Yep. Um. So what I always found is that. Just give it a little cushion, right? <laughs> yeah, just, always. just get, if, if if it comes back and it's showing as a, a three hundred and thirty thousand dollar renewal, maybe you make it three thirty five. Yeah, right. Yep. Maybe you make it three thirty four, something like that. Just build in a little bit of a buffer, just in case that payout statement does come back a little bit heavier than you think. Right. That means you've already qualified for a higher, which means that they can adjust their paperwork without requalifications needing to happen. 
I found that super helpful. And you have to have a little bit of a canned speech because you have to explain to the client while their mortgage renewal shows 335 and not 330. Yep. And also, you know, advise them that don't worry, you're not going to get 335. Yeah. That number is going to be adjusted according to whatever that payout statement is, but it's just a little bit of a buffer for safety. And I think that's an important point. So once you get the approval, then in the back end, especially with the FCT or whoever, what they end up doing is they don't just, uh, on a on a transfer, unlike a refinance where you you get an approval for 335 and you're funding 335. Yep. But on a transfer, you get an approval for 335 and then they get the payout and then they match up the amount to match up with the payout. Exactly. But you just don't want, as a good point in general, you always want to get an approval for a bit more than you need because if you ever have to go back to the well and ask for more, it has to get reapproved and lenders hate that. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah. And the last thing that I wanted to bring up is um, after all your work, three weeks before close, you lose the deal anyways. Yeah. Right? That existing lender comes back and bombs your rate <laughs> and tells it's a sign on the dotted line type thing. It's super easy. It can be done right now. And you end up losing that file and you end up losing all that effort and time that you put into it. And this is just one of the things that happens when you're in that renewal game. It just happens. It does. There and are it, some things you can do to, to lower the chance of it, but it does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully some of those things have been discussed in this podcast today. Um, I've got one one thing I want to mention. Do you, that, Justin. Go of for course it. I do. Yeah, I know you do. But is it, <laughs> one of the things important is earlier in the process, when you're ready to send in the deal, you just tell the client, look, I think I can get you an approval for this. Now, before we start the process, it's work for you and for us to go through this whole, all these hoops. I just need to know that if we're sending it in and I get an approval at these terms, that no matter what, even if the bank comes back later and, and offers you a better rate, that you're going to work with us and you're going to take this offer. Yep. And if you're not sure, then you should go back to the bank another time and get them to, again, quote you. Yeah. Because we, you, it's it's a waste of both of our time to go through this, right? I think it's important if you frame it well, the customer likely will respect your time as long as you frame it in, the, in a really good way and why it's in their best interest as well. You can't just say, I don't want to spend my time working on this because you know, it's a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. You always want to make sure that it's it's a waste of our time, Yeah. right? So that's an important thing. And um, other than that, yeah, I think it's it's just a matter of the renewals are tough to win. And I think that you need to go into it knowing that you're going to win 10 or 20% of the renewals. Yeah. Don't go into it thinking that you're going to win every single renewal. It's 10 or 20%. That's the number. So you go in there and you have to spend the minimal amount of time to win the maximum number of renewals. And so don't go into it thinking that you're going to win every single renewal. It's really just about treating the customer well, giving them uh, additional feedback. Most of the time, what you're actually doing is coaching them on how to get a better rate with their existing lender. That's really what you're doing. Yeah. You know. And sometimes you will have a situation where you say, hey, you know what? Here are my best rates. Go take it. See if the lender will match it. And if they won't, then come back. Because that is another strategy. Some brokers use that and to good effect. Yeah. Because it's really fast. You don't have this back and forth and, okay, go talk to your bank, come back to me, we'll have another call, this and that. It's literally like, here, I'll type up an email for you, ask your bank to match these rates, and if they don't, come back to me. You yeah. know, So you can do it that way too. It's just that you'll probably, you'll spend less time per renewal option or opportunity. You'll win probably a smaller percentage of them that way as well. But if you're really, really busy, then um, then that is another strategy as well. Interesting. And all good points. Hopefully this yeah. helps people be able to win more business and retain, you know, good client relationships. Of course. Yeah. So we're going to go on to uh, my favorite piece Ooh. of this. Oh, I know um, what your favorite is. Should we do it together? Yeah. Let's go. Okay. One, two, three. Back, Back in the day. day. <laughs> so today, I know Kyle touched base on it a little bit, um, but I wanted to kind of take it outside of the underwriting world. Um, for me, I would like to draw 
your attention to how awesome paperless files are. (laughs) So my day-to-day business is a lot of compliance work, a lot of um, brokerage-related stuff, Um, but that's not how I started. So back, back in the day, it was beige file folders as oh, yeah. far as the eye can see, right? And if you were super fancy, you had color-coded files. Oh, yeah. Right? Maybe you had, I remember we had blue for purchases, we had pink for refinances, <laughs> we had yellow for transfers, and we had beige for pre-approvals. So it was like a rainbow as soon as you, as soon as wow. you walk. I know, we were pretty high-tech there. Holy cow, wow. But it was just, you know, it's that, and then it's saving all those files physically for your, you know, for seven years for your auditing purposes. And, you know, big, huge file folders or filing cabinets, like seven or eight of them along the walls, right? And now you have these amazing programs like like Velocity, for example, where you can keep all this stuff and you can get your documents signed and you can store it all in there, right? Physical signatures needed to happen all the time before. You had to meet with your clients. You guys had to meet with your clients in person, (laughs) not Zoom, not Google Meet, in person every time to get a physical signature. And that is crazy if you think about it today. I know brokers that don't meet with any clients at all, right? And the compliance requirements that are in place now make that possible and also are starting to make it more difficult with the FinTrack stuff that's coming up. But I just wanted to point out that back in the day, none of that existed. You had to walk around. You had to go meet your clients. You had physical signatures on all the documents. And I just think it's so amazing. It's so different. It's so different. My first... When I actually got in the business, my first role was to actually deal with all of those files and help them move into a paperless, paperless version. And uh, my bosses at the time, it took some time to get them to change. Yes. Holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> it was tough. It's like okay, so we, this is stuff. This stuff is all uploaded into the into the server now. It's like yeah, but I just really want the folder. I'm like, yeah. Then why'd you hire me to do all this stuff yeah. exactly? And so I was literally backfilling and scanning in all of their previously funded files for the last X number of years. And they would do like 30 deals a month funded, by the way. And so (laughs) I learned to hate that scanner. You remember, um, is it Office Space? Was that the movie where they have that scene where it's a slow-mo and they're just beating the crap out of the the scanner and printer? He gets it as the quitting present (laughs) and leaves it and they all take bats to it. Smacking the (laughs) smack in it. Man, there were some times where I wanted to smack that thing that so hard. Was, that was it. Because there'd, there'd be stacks of paper and you'd go through it and you'd have to make sure you remove all the staples and everything because people would staple everything. Paper and there'd be a staple and... inside of a stapled batch of stuff. And and it's actually not even... It wasn't that recent that um, clients would still just want to drop off documents with you. And, and luckily, COVID really helped that because now people just had to become acquainted with uh, with with a digital filing, you know, structure, right? So it's so much more efficient to be able to do that and having uh, clients' documents get uploaded to whatever system system you're using. Yeah. So much better. It's so much better than meeting clients physically and then them sitting in your office while you're scanning all the stuff in and beating up your your scanner because, you know, there's a staple in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. Well, what a positive spin on COVID. Yeah, exactly. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, thanks for talking about transfer mortgages with me today. Yeah, of course, eh? What are we talking about next week, Kyle? We're going to be talking all about reverse mortgages next week. Super interesting. Yeah, thanks, eh? Have a great day. You too. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with us. Hopefully, you're able to take a couple things from today's episode, implement it into your everyday, and improve in the areas you need to. For direct interaction with us, please join the conversation through our Facebook community. Check the link in the show notes, and happy brokering. 